you know that we've been taking a journey through uh, <clears throat> the scriptures, looking at the story of David. David is described for us in 1 Samuel 13 as a man after God's own heart. And wouldn't we all like that to be our description? Someone who would say that we were a person after God's own heart. So we've been looking at the life of David to see how we can be like David in the way that he was described as a person after God's own heart. We want to see what it means to be a person after God's own heart. Before David was king, if you've been with us, you know that first he was a shepherd boy, then he was a warrior, and then he was a wanted man. And one of the most remarkable things about David's story is that while he was a wanted man, he actually proves to fulfill all of the three blessings we just read about. David was meek, he was righteous, and he was merciful. So that we might see how we too can be meek, righteous, and merciful, I would encourage you to open your Red Pew Bibles to 1 Samuel chapter 26. Uh, it may be found on page 317 of your Red Pew Bible. 1 Samuel chapter 26, we'll be reading uh, verses 5 to 25. I would encourage you to keep your Bibles open throughout the messages I make reference to the text as a part of the sermon today. But before I read God's Word and preach God's Word, I pr- let's go to the Lord again to guide us in the reading and preaching of His Holy Word. Please join me as we pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank You that You have given us the story of King David that we might learn from him what it means to be a person after God's own heart, what it means to be meek, righteous, and merciful. Oh, Lord, I pray that as we read your word that you might speak to us, that we might hear from you, that the words of my mouth and the meditation of all of our hearts might be acceptable in your holy sight. Through your son's precious name we pray and all God's people said, amen. First Samuel chapter 26 beginning with verse 5, listen to the word of the Lord. Then David rose and came to the place where Saul had encamped. And David saw the place where Saul lay with Abner the son of Ner, the commander of his army. Saul was lying in the encampment while the army was encamped around him. Then David said to Ahimelech the Hittite, and to Joab's brother Abishai, the son of Zeruiah, who will go down with me into the camp to Saul? And Abishai said, I will go down with you. So David and Abishai went to the army by night, and there lay Saul sleeping within the encampment, with his spear stuck in the ground at his head, and Abner and the army lay around him. I want to pause there just for a moment before I continue reading. I want to put this in a little bit of context. If you've read a little bit uh, earlier, we have found that there are 3,000 men that Saul has called to help him pursue and kill David. So when David sees Saul lying with his army, it's not just David and a few men. It's 3,000 men lying with Saul and his army. And what's most interesting is that David, you know, asks for someone to come along with him. Abishai agrees. And as they make their way into the encampment where Saul was lying, most likely in the center of the encampment, there is Saul lying next to Amner, who is one of his greatest warriors, with the spear of Saul at Saul's head. This is most likely the very same spear that Saul had thrown and hurled at David so that, so that David might be killed. It was read in 1 Samuel chapter 18. The irony is not lost on the reader nor on Abishai. And so listen to Abishai's response when he sees how Saul is now lying with his own spear at his head and fast, fast asleep. Then Abishai said to David, God has given your enemy into your hand this day. 
Now please let me pin him to the earth with the stroke of the spear, and I will not strike him twice. What an opportunity God has given to David and Abishai that Saul is lying fast asleep with the spear that Saul had previously hurled at David and even thrown at his own son Jonathan, a spear which was a sign of power for Saul, a spear that Saul had abused many different times and tried to use to kill David. Now Saul is laid out fast asleep with that very same spear. And Abishai says, David, the Lord has provided your enemy here. I will take Saul's own spear and thrust it into Abishai and I will, into Saul, and I will kill him with one stroke of the spear. Notice, though, how David responds to Abishai's offer. But David said to Abishai, do not destroy him, for who can put out his hand against the Lord's anointed and be guiltless? And David said, as the Lord lives, the Lord will strike him, or his day will come to die, or he will go down into battle and perish. The Lord forbid that I should put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. But take now the spear that is at his head and the jar of water and let us go. So David took the spear and the jar of water from Saul's head and they went away. No man saw it or knew it, nor did any awake, for they were all asleep because of a deep sleep from the Lord had fallen upon them. Now, David has been chased by Saul for many, many chapters now. Saul has been trying to kill David for for quite some time. And here is this wonderful opportunity for for David to, to kill Saul himself or to have Abishai kill Saul on his behalf. But David doesn't take advantage of that opportunity, does he? No, David humbly recognizes still that even though Saul has has been cruel and has made some very uh, uh, crazy decisions, he is still God's anointed. Even though Saul has been irrational and unjust, he is still God's anointed. And so David refuses to take advantage of this opportunity. He knows that it is not his place to kill Saul, for Saul is God's anointed. And God will kill Saul or have Saul die at God's own time. Yes, David proves to be meek, humble here, in his willingness to wait on God, not trying to take matters into his own hands, but rather to rest in the Lord's plan. David knows, after all, that if Abishai or or he were to kill Saul, uh, the the 3,000 men that Saul has rallied to help kill David would be most upset, certainly, and they would want to make sure that the assassin of their beloved king Saul would be killed. So David knows that it's not wise to to kill Saul, even though there seems to be an opportunity to do so. It's wisdom is found in humility, humbly waiting on the Lord. Wisdom is found in humility, humbly waiting on the Lord. I love the way that Presbyterian minister and Bible scholar Eugene Peterson describes this scene in his commentary on 1 Samuel. Here's what Eugene Peterson says. The reticence that David displays in these incidents of disciplined waiting is something of the quality that Jesus blessed in the meek who will inherit the earth. Meekness designates the controlled strength that turns its back on self-engrandizing opportunism and stands patiently firm while waiting for God's day, God's timing. In honoring Saul as God's anointed, David honors God who works his will in history when and where and how he will. 
A person after God's own heart is humble enough to recognize that God is always in control, God is always in charge, and that we shouldn't try to make things happen, rather we should wait for God's timing. When God reveals, it's time for us to move. How quickly, though, have we been wanting to act, wanting to take, things, uh, take charge of things on our own, rather than to wait, as David does, to wait on the Lord. Yes, the psalmists tell us that the meek wait on the Lord, and so they inherit the land. We read this specifically in Psalm 37, verses 7 to 11. King David writes, Be still before the Lord and wait patiently for him. Fret not yourself over the one who prospers in his way, over the man who carries out evil devices. Is that not a description of Saul? Refrain from anger and forsake wrath. Fret not yourself. It tends only to evil. For the evildoers shall be cut off. But those who wait for the Lord shall inherit the land. In just a little while, the wicked will be no more. Though you look carefully at his place, he will not be there. But the meek shall inherit the land and delight themselves in abundant peace. The meek, the humble, shall inherit the land. Does that not sound familiar? The very words of Jesus that we found in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5, 5. The meek shall inherit the earth. The meek are are willing to to wait on God. They don't try to rush and make things happen. Rather, they're humble enough to recognize that God is in control, and we want God to move in God's timing. And so they wait. The meek wait on the Lord. Yes, David proves to be meek in this scene because he's willing to wait on the Lord. The next time we find ourselves becoming angry or anxious and we feel that we need to take charge of the situation, perhaps what we should do is pray and ask the Lord, is this your time? When do you want me to act? What do you want me to do? For the meek, wait upon the Lord. Wisdom is found in humility, and humility is found in waiting on the Lord. Are we willing to wait humbly on the Lord? Continuing reading our text this morning. Then David went out to the other side and stood far off on the top of the hill with a great space between them. And David called to the army and to Abner the son of Ner, saying, Will you not answer, Abner? Then Abner answered, Who are you who calls to the king? And David said to Abner, Are you not a man who is like you in Israel? Why then have you not kept watch over your lord the king? For one of the people came in to destroy the king, your lord. This thing that you have done is not good. As the Lord lives, you deserve to die because you have not kept watch over the Lord, the Lord's anointed. And now see where the king's spear is in the jar of water that was at his head. Saul recognized David's voice and said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David said, It is my voice, my Lord, O king. And he said, Why does my Lord pursue after his servant? For what have I done? What evil is on my hands? Now, therefore, let my Lord the king hear the words of his servant. It is the Lord who has stirred you up against me. May he accept an offering. But if it is men, may they be cursed before the Lord, for they have driven me out this day that I should have no share in the heritage of the Lord, saying, Go serve other gods. Now, therefore, let not my blood fall to the earth away from the presence of the Lord, for the king of Israel has come out to seek a single flea like one who hunts a partridge in the mountains. Then then Saul said, I have sinned. Return, my son David, for I will no more do you harm, because my life was in your eyes this day. Behold, I have acted foolishly and have made a great mistake. And David answered and said, 
Here is the spear, O king. Let one of the young men come over and take it. The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. Pause there just for a moment. In this scene, David proves not only to be meek and humble and that he's willing to wait on the Lord, but he also proves to be righteous. For he asks, what have I done, Saul, that you pursue me, that you want my life taken from me? And Saul really has no answer, no charge to make against David. Then David points out that I have spared your life. I have shown mercy. I have been righteous, righteous in the eyes of God. Listen again to to what he says The Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness. For the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand against the Lord's anointed. David knows that the Lord is his ultimate judge, and he believes that because he has been willing to spare the Lord's anointed, that he is going to be found righteous in the eyes of God. As Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are those who thirst and hunger for righteousness, for they shall be satisfied. Does that describe us? Do we thirst and hunger for righteousness? Because David, a man after God's own heart, wanted the righteousness of God, wanted to reflect the righteousness of God, wanted to do the right thing, wanted to be merciful when he could be merciful. Does that describe us? Are we people who hunger and thirst for righteousness all the time? I've got to be honest with you. I I want to be righteous, but the fact is I don't always want to be righteous because sometimes my schedule does not allow it. For instance, I know that the golden rule says treat others the way you would like to be treated. I also know that what Jesus says in the Sermon on the Mount, that we should go the extra mile for those who are in need. And so when I'm driving, usually I'm in a hurry trying to get from one place to the next. And sure enough, when it's not a good time for me, Someone is on the street corner asking for assistance, saying, give me uh, money or food. And, And I know from my training and from what the Word of God says in Matthew 25 that the best way I can help someone is to help meet their specific needs. Notice in Matthew 25 that Jesus applauds the sheep, those who who cared for him. He says, when I was hungry, you gave me food. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was homeless, you gave me shelter. He never says you gave me money. The best thing we can do to help someone is to meet specific needs. That's why our church, when someone needs an electric bill paid for, we actually pay the electric company directly. We pay that bill for them. Or when someone needs a bus ticket, we go with them to buy that bus ticket. Whatever that need is, we try to meet that specific need. Well, here I am in my car on the way to somewhere, and I see someone saying, hungry, you know, need food. And I'm like, I don't have any food with me. There's a restaurant over there. I could get out. I have done it a few times, but I could get out, but I don't have time to do that. This is not convenient for my schedule. Have you ever been like that? You want to do the right thing, but it just doesn't fit your schedule. You know, sadly, I take pride in in always being on time, not being late. But the fact is that we have to be ready for those holy interruptions. If we want to do the right thing, if we want to be righteous, if we want to be merciful, it's not always convenient. Sure, it's easy to be merciful and righteous and do the right thing on a, on a mission trip or, or an in-town mission trip because we've planned it, but we have to be ready for the unpredictable, the unexpected interruptions that come, for those holy interruptions, opportunities for us to be merciful. Do we hunger and thirst for righteousness all the time? Well, in this scene, David does hunger and thirst for righteousness. Notice again, as I I read in verse 23, it says, the Lord rewards every man for his righteousness and his faithfulness, for the Lord gave you into my hand today, and I would not put out my hand 
against the Lord's anointed. David is humbly and meekly aware that God is the one who has who given Saul into his hand, that the only way that David was able to walk into the middle of the camp is because the, God had laid a heavy sleep on Saul and all of his army. And David knows that, well, that Saul has been placed in his hand, but David also knows that, well, that Saul is God's anointed, and it's not his role to kill Saul or Abishai. The Lord will have Saul die in the Lord's time. And David also knows well, that he has been anointed to be the next king of Israel. David knows that that will happen, and so he's willing to wait on God's time. Yes, David proves to be a man who is meek and humble because he's waiting, willing to wait on God's timing. He's a man who, who proves to be righteous because he wants to do the right thing. And the right thing here, David knows, is to show mercy. For mercy triumphs over judgment. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Behold, as your life was precious this day in my sight, so may my life be precious in the sight of the Lord, and may he deliver me out of all tribulation. David seemed to have the understanding that if he is merciful, he knows that God will one day be merciful to him. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall, be, they shall receive mercy. God proves to be merciful to David. As the story continues, we read, Then Saul said to David, Blessed be you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. So David went his way, and Saul returned to his place. Here in the reading of God's word, as the prophet Isaiah tells us, the grass withers and the flower fades. But the word of our Lord stands forever. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Now, this is the final scene that Saul and David have together. And ironically, Saul's words proved to be quite prophetic, for he says, Blessed are you, my son David. You will do many things and will succeed in them. David proves to be quite successful. This is the last time that Saul and David encounter one another. And Saul's final words, even though he's wanted to kill David for quite some time because of his jealousy of David, Saul presents a benediction, a blessing on David, a blessing that proves to be quite prophetic. For David is successful in what he does. And David is a man who, who, who is described as a man after God's own heart because David, particularly in this scene, has God always at the center and heart and focus of his mind. He recognizes that, well, that his situation, the reason that he's been able to survive all of these attempts on his life is because God is with him, because God has anointed him to be the next king of Israel the only reason he's able to walk into the middle of, of Saul's camp is because God has delivered Saul into his hand. God has put this heavy sleep on all of Saul's army so that David might be able to walk there. And he has this opportunity, but he also recognizes that God is in control, and it's not his position or place to kill Saul. God will take Saul's life in God's own time. Yes, David is a man after God's own heart because in this scene, he, he proves to be meek, humble, willing to wait on the Lord's timing. He is righteous because he wants to do the right thing, and he knows that the right thing is to be merciful. Because when we keep our hearts and minds focused on God and God's constant presence in our lives, we too will be meek, righteous, and merciful like David was. But David wasn't always meek, righteous, and merciful, was he? It's been said, you know, that 
power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. I'm afraid that this is what happens to King David as we continue, as we'll find in a couple of weeks, when, when David comes to power and he becomes the king, eventually during the season of years when men, kings were to, supposed to go off to war, what does David do? David stays at home. He no longer leads by example. He no longer does what he's supposed to do as the leader of God's people. He sends them off. Rather than being the humble leader who's willing to, to serve with his men, he stays and sends them off to do the fighting for him. Rather than doing what he was supposed to be doing, he stays in his palace and he sees this beautiful woman, Bathsheba, who is married to Uriah. And rather than humbly recognizing that this is another man's wife, he sees what he wants and he takes it. He covets. He commits adultery. And ultimately, he commits murder. How could David who was described as a man after God's own heart. How could David, a, a man who, who, who in the scene is, is meek and, and righteous and, and merciful, do such a horrible thing like steal another man's wife, commit adultery, and then have this husband murdered? That's the crazy thing about humanity, isn't it? We can do very good things, but we have the capacity to do very evil things as well. So what are we to do? How can we make sure that we're the type of people who continue to walk with God so that we remain meek and righteous and merciful? If David, a man after God's own heart, messed up, what hope is there for us today? Well, fortunately, there was another king. He's the king above all kings. He's the Lord of lords, the king of kings. He's the great I am, the son of God, fully God and fully man. The one who came to this earth and, and humbled himself as God's one and only son and was born as a, as a baby in a lonely major. And then he grew up among us and he began to teach us and he began to heal us. And ultimately, he humbled himself again to the point of death on a cross as a criminal, as the perfect sacrifice for all of our sins so that our sins might be atoned for so that we might be made right with God in our relationship with Him, so that the righteousness of Christ might be imputed to us or given to us as a gift so that when, through faith, so that when God sees us, He sees Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's the good news of the gospel is that because of what Christ has done, now the Holy Spirit dwells within us so that, so that when God sees us, He sees Christ in us. He sees the, the righteousness of Christ God looks at us as those who are clothed in Christ, as we read in the New Testament, as those who've been made right with God by Christ's great sacrifice. Yes, while David was meek and righteous and merciful in a moment, Jesus has proven to be meek, righteous, and merciful for all eternity. And it's because of what Jesus has done that we know that we too, empowered by the Holy Spirit, can be meek, righteous and merciful. For the gospel of Jesus, the good news of Christ's death and resurrection makes us meek, righteous, and merciful. The gospel of Jesus helps us remain meek as we recognize that we are all sinners in need of God's grace and that Jesus died as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Yes, the gospel of grace makes us meek, humble before God, humble before our fellow men. We do not judge others. We recognize that we're sinners just like them, with the capacity to do evil just like David was, and yet we are saved by God's amazing grace. The gospel of Jesus makes us meek, and it also makes us righteousness. 
For as we see Christ dying on the cross, he says in the Gospel of John, it is finished. All of our sins have been atoned for, and so we've been made right with God. Yes, because of what Christ has done, we've been clothed with Christ, and now God sees us, sees Christ in us, the hope of glory. It's the gospel of grace. The gospel of Jesus makes us meek, it makes us righteous, and ultimately it makes us merciful because it reminds us of just how merciful God has been to us, that even though we are sinners prone to wander from our holy God, our God continues to love us. He continues to forgive us. He doesn't abandon us in our sin. No, he actually became one of us and did for us what we can never do for ourselves, lived in perfect obedience, died as the perfect sacrifice, then conquered both sin and death on our behalf with his resurrection on the third day. Yes, the gospel of grace makes us meek, righteous, and merciful. If God has been so merciful to us, how much more should we be willing to be merciful to others today? David was meek, and he was righteous, and he was merciful in this scene because his mind was focused on God and God's presence in his life. You know, I don't know about you, but it's easy for me to to be mindful of God's presence in my life and to be more prayerful and to be more meditative on God's word and, and to be more diligent in my spiritual practices when I'm going through a hard time, when I find myself in the midst of troubles. And so David was as well. But when things started going well for David, he became complacent. He forgot that David is always with, that God is always with them, always watching over him, that God is his ultimate judge who sees everything. May we be ever mindful of God's loving presence, particularly as we see it in Christ Jesus today. Please join me as you pray. Gracious and loving God, we thank you that through the gospel of grace, the good news of Jesus, that we know that we have been made right with you, that in Christ we are now righteous. We meekly and humbly give you thanks for that great gift. And, our oh Lord, we also recognize that you've been most merciful to us. Lord, help us to be merciful as well. If we read and hear the words of Jesus, blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. Oh, Lord, in your gratitude, in gratitude for your mercy towards us, help us to be men and women who are merciful, who hunger and thirst after righteousness, who are meek and humble, willing to wait on you, knowing that you are always with us. You'll never leave us nor forsake us. But the future is in the very palm of your hands. And so, Lord, we look to you to guide us and lead us each and every day. Lord, help us to be mindful of your presence so that we too might be meek, righteous, and merciful. We pray this in the strong and precious name of your Son, who is the Christ, and all God's people said, Amen. Okay, thanks.